Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. chapter 2 and verse number 5. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." And so today I want to speak for a little while about the attitude of Jesus as we, cons- as we consider uh, the overall concept of living unselfishly and uh, a servanthood mentality. I want the Lord to understand uh, that I want to make room in my heart to be a servant. Not a servant with my lips, but a servant with my life. The ministry in, in, of Jesus Christ was um, quickly coming to an end. It was only going to be a matter of days before his disciples would be scattered. And uh, Jesus clearly understood the season and the time that they were in. And yet despite the imminent end, Jesus wanted to use one final gathering to teach a life lesson, a very powerful object lesson that so went against the grain of that culture in that day. It was the Last Supper, and Jesus would eat with the twelve and uh, that had walked with him for the past uh, number of years. It was the Apostle John that captures this story and shares it with us. And it was that moment in time that Jesus took on the role of a servant. In the most literal sense, he took on the the role of a servant. He did so, the Bible says, by girding himself with a towel, And by filling a pan with water and going from disciple to disciple to disciple to wash their feet. He began to wash their feet one by one until all were washed. And if we think about foot washing today in a completely different context. Because in this day, this was a job solely for the lowest person in the room. The servant would be the one to wash their feet. Of course, and I don't want to be too graphic here, but of course this wasn't a day like our day, but this was a day when when sandals were the footwear of the choice and they walked on dirty and dusty roads and so foot washing took on a completely different took on a completely different thing because the feet truly needed to be washed. Amen. And so If you can just imagine for a moment when you're reading this passage of Scripture, the awkward silence that must have filled the room when Jesus, without hesitation, got up and robed himself with a towel and then began to prepare. They were unaware, completely unaware of what Jesus was about to do, and they were certainly unaware of the significance of this moment. But Jesus continued. 
He continued until every foot in the room was washed. Now, he was doing this despite the fact that he is an all-knowing God, and he knew, he knew in that room that each of these men, I know that we talk about Judas a lot, and the, the man who sops with me, he's going to betray me. But, but Jesus knew beyond Judas. He knew that ultimately, in some form or fashion, that every man in this room was going to abandon him. Amen? So if you know, if you know your scriptures, then you know that, uh, that indeed it wasn't Judas that was the only one who walked away. But in the end, they were all at least absent without leave to some measure. And, uh, but yet, despite that knowledge, he continued to wash their feet. And as he approached Simon Peter, you know, often when I'm reading about Simon Peter in, in Scripture, I have the tendency under my breath to say, bless his heart. Because he was, he was that unpredictable man, the unpredictable man in the room who was either in this ditch or the other ditch. And it took Jesus a lot of time trying to just keep him uh, in a place of moderation. And so it was when he approached Simon Peter, uh, he said, you can, you're never going to wash my feet. And, and we understand what he was trying to say. But to that, Jesus just simply said, he said, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. So here's, here's Simon Peter not getting back up on the road, but he runs off in the other ditch and he says, well, don't well, just wash my feet, but just wash everywhere. Just wash, wash for my, my hands and my head, just from head to toe. And uh, he's missing the point altogether. In all fairness, there is absolutely no way they could have recognized the significance of the moment. But Jesus did tell them that after his death that you're going to truly understand what this is all about. I think we've all been there many times in our life that we did not understand the significance of certain moments in our life. But we would look back on them and reflect and we would realize that in that moment the Lord was teaching us and the Lord was training us. He was putting us through something that would ultimately change our lives for the good. It wasn't that Jesus was just teaching a point to 12 men, but I believe in this single act, Jesus taught a lesson to the entire world. And so I believe that it is not enough for us to just profess that we are Christians, but I believe that we should show the world that we're a Christian, not with our lips. Anybody can say anything, but it's our lives. It's what we do every day, and it's how we treat one another. And so Jesus said, your life is going to have an impact on the, on the world in which you live. In the book of Philippians, our text, chapter 2 and verses 5 through 8, Paul begins this discourse with, by underscoring the, import, the importance of saying, let this mind of Christ be in you. Let this mind be in you. Or in other words, you've got to change your way of thinking. And that's a difficult thing sometimes. Once we kind of hone in on something, that's, it's, that's a difficult thing to do is to change the mind of someone. And uh, this was more than just a good thought that the apostle had. I believe that he truly desired that we would live out our Christian lifestyle. I, I'm, I'm thankful for corporate services and uh, moments like today where we're able to gather together and Every time the doors are open, I'm thankful for those times that we're gathering, whether it's in service or fellowship or whatever it may be. But when we walk out of these doors, that's the most important steps that we'll ever take. It's not what we can uh, assume someone thinks of us here 
in, in a somewhat protected, at least controlled environment, but it's, it's when we're out in the world. It's in day-to-day living when you can't necessarily predict what's going to come your way and how we're going to respond to that when others are watching and others are listening. And I'm, I'm not talking about just there to put on a show, but we've got to understand that people are watching how we're walking through trials and battles and things in our life. And, and if that's pushing us away from God, if that's pushing us away from one another, or if it's drawing us closer to the Lord and closer to one another. Not only, uh, I believe, was Paul concerned about the community of the church, but he was concerned about what the world is, is, the world is viewing and the world is hearing. And so he said, having this mind of Christ, the ability to see life, in other words, from the same perspective of Jesus. Now, I understand as well as many of you that the word of God teaches us that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways and his thoughts are much higher than ours. And so we can read that scripture and just say, well, I I don't stand a chance to ever get this, so I'll just stop trying. Or we can have the mindset of the apostle Paul and say, "I, I need the Lord to help me to be able to view things from his perspective as much as possible. We're always gonna have limitations because of our humanity. But I believe the Lord can help us to view things from a heavenly perspective. Amen. It's not enough to just profess to be a disciple of the Lord, but we've got to daily practice the lifestyle that Jesus exampled. I believe that we've got to be consistent and we've got to be passionate to see the attributes of the Lord in our lives. Those things are not just going to happen. It's not going to happen accidentally. Amen. We've got to, if we're going to acquire the point of view of the Lord, then we've got to look at the Lord. We've got to consider his life and and, uh, you know, I have referred to it, I'm sure, me and, and uh, thousands and thousands of other pastors across our nation around the world. But several years ago, it became a pretty popular catchphrase. And it was just one question, what would Jesus do? And before we write that off and, and mock something of that nature, that is a very pertinent question. What would Jesus do? And how would Jesus handle this situation? And how would he respond and the only way we're going to know that is by examining the life of the Lord and, and, and to, to discover the Lord's intent and how we should live our lives. In Philippians 2, 7 and 8, Paul listed several things about Christ that are worth us taking time to note. Number one is that he emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. The scripture says, and it's underlined on purpose, even the death of the cross, which was not just death, but a very shameful death because the crucifixion meant that you were guilty of some hideous crime, as were the other two men who were crucified with the Lord. And so he didn't just humble himself to death by just closing his eyes and passing in the, and slipping away in the silence of night, but it was a very, very public forum in which his death took place. Even though Jesus Christ possessed the full deity of God, the Bible says in Philippians 2 that he did not consider himself equal with God. He had the power to call 10,000 angels to his side. He understood that. He possessed the full deity of God, but he didn't consider himself to be equal with God, and I believe that's how we should live. Paul is expressing a desire that, that we have that same kind of attitude in our life. Yes, we can pray and there is power in prayer. And yes, the Lord can turn circumstances and situations of our lives around. But the big question is, what if he don't? 
And what if I'm not healed? Because we got to make a decision on the other side of this. What, what if this thorn in my flesh that Paul prayed about is not removed? Are we going to be able to say, as Paul said, you know, uh, I, I would much rather in, enjoy the anointing of the Lord in my life. I'll have to figure out how to deal with this affliction. It didn't go away, but he understood that the power of the Lord was at work in his life. And so how can we live on the other side of an unanswered prayer? Amen. How, what will our attitude be? What will our spirit be if we live on the other side of an unanswered prayer? Or how are we going to live until the prayer is answered? How are we going to live until the situation is resolved? And, and I, I'm not here today to make anybody sad, but I can tell you that every situation is not fixed in 60 days or 90 days. It's not, some things are not righted in five years. Some things may not be righted in 10 years. So what are we going to do in that interim period of time? Are we going to grow indifferent and bitter and sour? Is this all right? Amen. Are we, are we going to have the attitude of, of Jesus who said, you know, I, I'm not God. I'm not equal with God and, and he knows what's best and I'm going to walk through this. He promised that as my days are, so would my strength be. And so I will just depend on him tomorrow for a brand new anointing to come down in my life and keep me and hold me and establish my ways before him. Amen. Specifically, the apostle Paul was teaching the church, and I believe that Jesus was teaching that it is so important what our relationships with other people are. Having the mind of Christ means that I have to possess the same attitude of the Lord in at least three distinct areas, and that's where he is teaching us here. I believe that I must have the attitude of the Lord in humility, that nothing should be beneath us, amen, in humility to serve that we should have compassion for the lost. and It's not up to us to, to, to judge how they got there. If I've often used the illustration of a lifeguard, I'm thankful that a lifeguard doesn't swim out to a drowning individual and, and ask them, why did you swim past the ropes? I believe we could just hammer that out later. That's not their job to decide. Their job is to save their life. Their job is not to point out what they, they're imminently aware of what they shouldn't have done at that particular moment in time. <laughs> Amen. And so we need to have compassion for the lost, not why they got there or how they got there or fold our arms and say, well, I could have told you six months ago or a year ago this was going to happen, but we've got to reach for them with everything that we have. And then, and thirdly, we need to have total dependence upon the Lord. I'll say it often, but I'll never say it too often that every Sunday school teacher, every leader, everyone that ever holds this microphone, stands behind this desk, should have a complete dependence upon the Lord. It doesn't matter how long you've prayed, how much you've studied, what kind of thought you feel like that's been dropped in your heart, or, or how, many, how many statistics you're going to lay out before the audience that sits before us. We need to have the Lord in our heart and in our life. We're totally depending on you. Together, we're going to examine these attributes just a little bit closer. And, and, and the reason why, I believe, is imperative because we must incorporate them into our everyday walk with God. Not Sunday, Wednesday, not just every now and then when we're together, but we need to incorporate these principles into our life. When Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, he was doing far more than removing dirt. He was doing far more than just putting on a, a show. It was an act of, of, of a servanthood. He took on the role of a servant. He humbled himself 
before his followers. And that act of servanthood was something that the disciples, as I've said, they didn't fully understand this. They didn't fully get it. But this unselfish act set something in motion that is still affecting lives today. It was a window, if you please, for all of us to be able to look through. And it reveals how vital it is for us to humble ourselves and serve others. In Luke chapter 19, we're introduced to the mission of Jesus Christ. Here's the mission of Jesus Christ. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. That's our mission. In a nutshell, that is our mission, to seek and save that which is lost. He had compassion for the lost. And that was the central, absolute central focus of his ministry. He touched those that were bound. He healed those that were sick. He touched those that had lost their direction and lost their way. That was the core of his ministry. He had compassion for the lost. He was willing to commit the most unselfish and humble acts of all time by laying down his life for others. We're reminded in John 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The third way we can possess the same attitude that Jesus had is to have that total dependence upon God. We must have dependence upon him. Now, I understand that if you do anything repetitively long enough, you're going to be able to figure out the, some aspects of how to do it. And so we can learn how to teach a Sunday school class and just go through the, the motions of doing that. You can learn how to play an instrument and you could go through the motions of doing that. But the moment that we feel like we can pull that off in our flesh, we are in, on dangerous, dangerous ground. We need the absolute dependence of the Lord. I can speak today to some who have uh, perhaps had various, maybe you have various roles of ministry on some level in the church today. And so you can, if not today, you have perhaps in, your, in the past, you've had uh, the opportunity to teach Sunday school or to do something. And, and uh, there have been times that I feel like in my life, maybe you can relate to this, I feel like there have been times in my life that the Lord just kind of stepped aside. <laughs> and said, I want to just let you show, show you what this feels like without me. And that's a lonely place to stand. That's a very, very vulnerable place to stand. Thank you for your response because I was hoping the Lord wasn't just doing that to me only. And <laughs> but every now and then, it's just like the Lord just says, I'm going to sit outside and you go ahead. I'm just going to watch you for a little while. And you feel the weight and the responsibility and you realize in a moment of time that I don't even want to try to do this without you. Moses said, Lord, I'll do it, but you're going to have to go with me. Thank God. That Moses, he may not have been able to talk plain, but he could think clearly. And he realized that I can't do this without you. I've got to have your anointing. I've got to have your favor. I've got to have your hand on my life. And so we must have total dependence upon God. Our, our lives with that would truly be meaningless if we didn't have a reliance on God to reveal to us what we need to do with our lives. I believe that we have to seek every day what the Lord wants us to do. As long as there is breath, as long as there is a today, amen, I may not have a tomorrow, but while there's a day, I want to, uh, today, I want to know what is your will for my life today? What would you have me to do? And so I want to fulfill the mission of God. But if I am to fulfill that mission, then I've got to involve myself in these things. I've got to humble myself, A, and realize that 
that I need the hand of the Lord to touch me and I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. Amen. I need to reach out to other people in serving and then I certainly need to reach out to other people with the gospel. I need to have those things as a focus for my life. And that can only be obtained by total dependence upon the Lord. The role and the purpose of a servant, I believe, has multiple dimensions. However, for the sake of our study, I just want to consider a few of them today. I believe that servants, true servants, a person that has a servant's heart, amen, not just somebody that has a servant's title, but somebody that has a servant's heart are those people that are always thinking of others before themselves. Amen. You know, I think this is a great example perhaps that we can relate to. It's not difficult for a real mother to have a servant's heart. And a mother's going to dip everybody else's plate. And if there wasn't, if, if for just some reason or another she just missed the overall amount that was truly necessary for everybody to have what they needed to be full. She's going to get everybody's plate fixed and then she's got just a few beans over there and she will convince you that that's all she really wanted. (laughs) They're not telling the story because they have a servant's heart. This is what I want others before myself, others ahead of me. Philippians 2 and 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You take that. You take that place. Servants lower themselves to lift others up. And that's exactly what Jesus did by giving up the splendor of heaven in order to die on a cross for the sins of humanity. Amen. Now, we may never be called to go that far, but we, we must lower our own self-view, Amen. We, our own self-assessment, so we can spend our lives serving those that are, are, are around us. I, I, I'm going to say it again. I don't think we should ever see any task. I don't think we should ever see any service as something that is beneath us. I will tell you that I've had the privilege, the, and I say this humbly, but I've had the privilege to rub shoulders with some tremendous, wonderful men and women of God. And I'll tell you one common thread that I have that I have that I've watched in every one of their lives is the spirit of servanthood, a true servant of the Lord. Amen. And so we should never think that something's beneath us because when we do, we reveal our pride. Amen. We absolutely reveal our pride. The third role and the the purpose of a servant ties, I think, closely to that. But a servant recognizes the the importance of furthering someone else. And... uh, you know, a few years ago at one of our men's conferences, uh, Brother J.H. Osborne, in his, own, in his own unique way, in closing one of his messages there, he started talking about, um, he started talking about people who uh, are backup singers uh, for famous people. There, and, he, and he said something about like you're 20 feet away from stardom or 20 feet away from fame, and, and there you are, and your purpose is not to be seen and in some de- to some degree, your purpose is really not to be heard. But it's just there, your voice is to lift up the voice of that other person. Be that male or female, and that's the role, that is pos- the position. It's not about how many times the camera pans over to the backup singers. It may or may not ever do that. But your voice is just there to support in a low spot or to support in a place of weakness or to help in some other way. And so servants recognize the importance of furthering the cause 
of someone else. If, if we could help somebody else get further down the road. If we could help somebody else by serving in some capacity to help lift them up and lift their arms. Again, I think by examining the life of Jesus, it's, it's safe to say that that was his primary focus and goal. Finally, servants are willing to lay down their lives for others. Again, we're reminded of this in John 15 and 13. I mentioned a moment ago, greater love than, hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. This selfless act that Jesus is, is of Jesus perhaps was the greatest act of, of humility that was ever revealed. I'm going to lay down my life for the sake of others. This selfless act, we see that and we wonder, and if we're not careful, we can soon forget the price that was paid. Servanthood is the attitude that I believe that God desires in all of us in order for us to fulfill the true calling that is upon our life. There is no greater purpose than the purpose of the kingdom of God. I believe that we should always focus on the kingdom of God. Now, I believe in the local church, and, and uh, I, I certainly believe that we must invest everything that we possibly can into the local church, but the local church can't just be about the local church. I believe that we need, we need people to be church-minded, local church-minded, amen, but we also under, need to understand that a church a church's overall mission should be to be kingdom-minded. We're not just trying to build our own kingdom, do our own thing, but we're trying to support the life and the ministry of others. Laying down our life for a friend. We may not think that we would be called on to do something like that, but I believe in the truest sense of the word that our military men and women as well as our first responders do this every day. We've often heard it referred to, but, oft, but many times when a building is on fire, while some people are running out of the building, other people are running into the building. Amen. And so they are, they are certainly putting their lives in jeopardy. Others are running away from danger while others are running into the danger. And so the true spirit of a servant. Thank you for those who have served and those who serve today. What a privilege it is to be able to have people like that in our lives. In Matthew 6 and 33, Jesus declared that, that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this is accomplished, I believe, in three very distinct manners. First off, by being servants, we give glory to God. And we have to understand that by being servants, we identify with Jesus Christ and we seek to fulfill the purpose that he came to fulfill. And so what we're doing today is, is to fulfill the purpose that he came to fulfill. And again, that entire mission is summed up in the, in the writings of Luke, to seek and to save that which is lost. We would ask yourself to this, this morning, how many people we witnessed to this week about the Lord? How many people we invited to church this week? Amen. You, you answer those questions to yourself, not to me. But how many people did we invite to be here in this Sunday morning service today because we understand that there's hope to be found because Jesus is going to be in the house. Not hope to be found because you and I are going to be here, but hope to be found because Jesus is going to be here. That is the overall mission of the church. And if we came short of that, then we came short of the mission that we've been called to do. And so it behooves us to have the same attitude of investing our lives in the work of the kingdom of God and serving others. By being servants, we follow the very pattern that Jesus Christ set before us by being obedient and humbling ourselves. The entire ministry of the Lord was spent in leading 
and training others. Absolutely. Leading and training others. He was imparting. He was imputing into the heart of those people. I mean, he taught them the importance of being obedient. He taught them that serving others revealed that they really were a servant of the Lord. Fully becoming a servant, I promise you, does not happen overnight. You can speak in tongues till 3 o'clock in the morning, but you're not going to wake up the next day an absolute servant. Amen. We have got to be constantly fighting against the spirit of our age that says, I can have it my way. Amen. We're, 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 we're our very, very spoiled by the society that we live in because it seems as though in, a, in, in the society that we live in today in a very selfish time and it just only teaches us to be more selfish because we can get things today at a, at a greater speed than with ever before. I mean, has ever heard of Amazon Prime? <laughs> Free two-day shipping. We're living in a world where you can decide this afternoon you want something and it can be sitting on your doorstep in the morning. Because somebody feels like we got to serve you, we got to serve you, we got to serve you. And if we're not careful when all that, that service is coming our way, we live in a very service-oriented society. And so when all that service is coming our way, it's hard for us to break the back of that to really do what God would have us to do. It takes patience. It takes time. There's perhaps some that can remember the Sears and Roebuck catalog where you had to wait to get the catalog. (laughs) And then if you wanted to order something, that was going to be a process of time. That was probably going to involve weeks. And so uh, we've come a long way, baby. We've truly come a long, long way. But I'll tell you what, it has whittled away our ability to wait on God. It has whittled away our ability to serve others and, and uh, because we're so accustomed to being served ourselves. I'm, I'm speaking to everybody, including the man holding the mic. I, I ordered something from Amazon Thursday morning about 11, between 11 and 12. And it was supposed to come in Saturday or Monday and it showed up the next day. Man, I'm running around. It was like Christmas. It was an air filter for my car, but it was, I was running around, I was running around like it was Christmas. Can you believe this? Can you believe this? And from the, the comfort and the luxury of just the, the keyboard, you just, just a couple of strokes and there it is on your doorstep. And then we come into the house of God on Sunday and somebody says, you got to humble yourself. You got to learn how to wait. You may have to live with this for a long time. You see the conflict. You hear the thunder, <laughs> the cold air and the hot air mixing. You hear, you hear the thunder. It's because it is, it is, it is mixing and, 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 and clashing against what is the spirit of our age. It's such an important part of our walk. We have to learn the role of a servant. Primarily, Jesus revealed two distinct paths that we must walk in order to fulfill that role. The first path is found in Matthew chapter 20. This passage just says those that are going to be great have got to learn how to serve. If you want to be lifted up, then you need to go down. And that is so contrary to the culture of the world that we live in because our world says if you want to go up, then you just step on everybody that you can and you climb that, that ladder of success and you do so by any means necessary. 
in each of us, there is, I think, a dream of greatness. I really believe that. Or I think there should be a dream of greatness or a, a, a dream of greater by, by far. Amen. I think the idea of just being average. I don't think anybody grew up and said, you know, I would, I just, my goal is to be an average husband. My goal is to be an average father, an average employee, an average. I don't think there's anything about average that really appeals to us. I believe that we want to be a good father, a, a good husband, a good whatever that we are uh, are called on, that we want to reach for greatness. I, and I realize that, that, that we've got to press in order to do that. The illustration that uh, of this in, in James and in John is maybe somewhat out of line. The attitude resides, however, in almost everyone. And both of these men were saying, Lord, we want a place of prominence. We want to be great. And uh, their, their attitude was a little bit out of kilter. Amen. But, but there, is, there, is a, there is a desire for greatness in all of us. Amen. But his response was clear. He didn't correct their desire. He just redirected their heart to a proper path, which was servanthood. If you want to be used of God, be a servant. If you want to be elevated in the kingdom of God, learn how to serve because that's what captures the heart of God. Matthew uh, seems to capsulize this. Whoever wants to become great among you, he must be a servant. The son of man didn't come to be served, but the son of man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The second path is also found in the writings of Matthew in chapter 23. Jesus said those that will be exalted must humble themselves. Amen. And he warned the people about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And he instructed his listeners to put on humility. Or in other words, you're going to have to be proactive in this. Again, the desire to be lifted up is in all of us. I... I uh, I was in a meeting somewhere, and you probably heard something similar to this. I, I believe it was Brother Tinney. I, I, don't, I hate to maybe say that in case it wasn't, but I believe it was Brother Tinney that was being introduced. And Brother Tinney and Sister Tinney, of course, collectively and separately had many tremendous, tremendous accomplishments in ministry. And so as someone was introducing them, uh, they were, or him, he was going over a few of their accomplishments. And uh, as Brother Tinney went to the pulpit, of course, he felt obligated to say something about all those things. And he said, I want us to pray and ask the Lord to forgive this man for saying all those things and then forgive me for enjoying it. <laughs> because there is a desire of greatness in all of us. Amen. It's just there. That's just a, 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 a wish for that recognition. Amen. A, a desire for somebody to notice. You ever have somebody you love and you admire walk up to you and say, notice anything different? <laughs> That's a good way to get your heart to stop it. And you're going, oh, my word. <laughs> think, think, think. Look, look, look. Amen. It's, it's a desire for somebody to say, that looks nice. It's a desire to say, that really looks good. And so it's in all of us. And so Jesus not teaching against that at all, but he's trying to redirect that and help us to understand. We have to be very, very careful when it comes to pride. Very careful. In Proverbs 16 and 8, Solomon said, pride, can go, pride goes before destruction, haughtiness before a fall. You gotta be very, very careful about getting lifted up. I'll tell you that, that life is a tremendous equalizer. You don't really need to commit yourself to being the person to bring everybody down around you. Because life is a great equalizer. 
Life has the ability to life has the ability just to kind of pull everything back down into focus. According to Jesus, the kingdom of God had very little room for those that wanted to elevate themselves. In Matthew 23, 12, he gives a very unorthodox path for success. He said, whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and who shall humble himself shall be exalted. That just seems to be the opposite of what life teaches us. And these two approaches are very foreign to the world in which we live, but they all possess the right attitude. And we've got to strive to be more like Jesus, strive to be more like him. I believe that this is true not only outside of the church, but I believe it's true inside of the church where we need to ask the Lord, how can we help others to succeed in what you've called them to do? Not just look good myself. And some people think if we can just make somebody else look bad, that's going to make us look good. But that's not how that works at all. But what can we do to lift up somebody else? The Bible talks about Moses and what a tremendous snapshot this is of Scripture that as long as the hands of Moses was lifted up, they were winning in the battle. But the moment that Aaron and Hur allowed his arms to go down in the battle, they started losing in the battle. There was something about lifting up the hands of their leader and lifting up the hands of those around them where it allowed and released the Spirit of God to flow in their lives. Amen. I, I want to uh, conclude this morning with a very pointed illustration that I found interesting. The tragic end of the doomed sea vessel that we have all come to know as the Titanic is perhaps one of the most horrific events in history. Yet it reveals some very important lessons as well. And I want you to listen really, really close, if you will. According to survivor accounts, there was an agreement that was made and we recognize this term, women and children first. According to the survivor's accounts, the women and children's first agreement was observed with almost no dissension whatsoever. This was particularly true of the upper classes of the people on this ship. The statistics make this plain. In first class, every child on the Titanic was saved. As were all but five of the 144 women, but three of those five women who drowned chose to die because they died with their husbands. By contrast, 70% of the men perished. In second class, 80% of the women were saved, but 90% of the men were drowned. The men on the first class list of the Titanic were virtually made up of the Forbes 400 of that time. One man by the name of John Jacob Astor, reputedly the richest man of his day, I looked it up just yet, uh, last night, that he, at his death, at his death, uh, then if his if his money were to be calculated, the closest calculations I could come up with was 2017. His worth was somewhere around $2 billion in today's money. He was said to have fought his way to a lifeboat in order to put his wife in it, and then he stepped back and waved goodbye. Benjamin Guggenheim similarly refused to take a seat, saying 
tell my wife that I played the game out straight all the way to the end. No women shall be left aboard this ship because Ben Gumenheim was a coward. Others before me. Let my wife know I played it out all the way to the end. In other words, some of the most powerful men in the world adhered to an unwritten code of honor even though it meant death to them. You see, we, in, the, in the safety of this environment this morning, we can all raise our hands and say, you can count me in. But what are we going to do when the vessel starts taking on water? Others first. Others first. Let's stand. What a powerful lesson in how we can give our lives for others. I believe the kingdom of God really requires of us to submit just on that level. Others before me. You see... In ministry, it's really and truly, I'm not just talking about pulpit ministry, but in ministry of any sort, it's really and truly others first. Others first. You have to learn how to teach without accolades, pats on the back. You have to learn how to serve whether or not anybody ever notices it. You've heard me say this many, many times, but there's a lot of people in this church that serve with hidden hands. We don't even really know what they do for the most part. Many of us... Some of us obviously do, but many people don't even know all that they do behind the scenes. But they're working diligently. Hidden hands. You can't do that if you're waiting at the end of the line for somebody to shake your hand and put a blue ribbon around your neck. Amen. I want to be like Jesus. My grandfather used to sing an old song, To Be Like Jesus. To be like Jesus. On earth I long to be like him. Amen to be like Jesus. Can we lift our hands and ask the Lord just to do that work in our heart here today? In Jesus' name. Lord, I love you today. Thank you so much for the privilege to serve you and to serve others. Anoint us, God, by the power of your word. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.